All right, let's look now. At, we're looking at the law of God. Uh, the law of God, the, uh, the law of God, what's called the Ten Commandments. In the Hebrew, actually, it's not called the Ten Commandments. In traditional Hebrew circles, it's called the Ten Words. The Ten Words. And um, what I want to do is I want to excavate weekly, command after command, because I feel tasked in preaching or teaching the law to do something almost impossible. And that is get to Sid's heart and convict him of sin. You all are irrelevant. This is all for Sid. <laughs> no, there you are. Uh, but, but, but there's a task here. And last week we began on the task of the ministry of death. The ministry of the law bringing the sting of a conviction that leads to death. And, you know, that's really not a, not, not a great, not a really a fun job as preacher, teacher, communicator, whatever it is, a pastor, to bring the ministry of death. But unless the ministry of death comes, we can't have the ministry of life, which is in Jesus. So what I'm going to do is uh, we're going to play a little bit of translation here. And, uh, and, and in this text, because I think the translation is not, not, not uh, doesn't, doesn't pop like it could. We're going to read the Ten Commandments in a second. Did you, do you is, it, is it beyond, I, maybe I'm dating myself, uh, John will remember this, uh, when uh, the, the Ten Commandments were on display, it was in Birmingham, it was in, somewhere in the south. And uh, there was a big ruckus about putting, taking down the Ten Commandments. And uh, there was a, was, it, was that in Birmingham? It was. And so we have some folks from Birmingham today visiting with us who have been prayerfully supportive and loving us well uh, from a distance, uh, Jake and Linda. But, but I, I always thought when I heard about this controversy, when there was protest to take down the Ten Commandments and then in turn protest to keep them up, why they were up to begin with. <laughs> and what I mean by that, I know that, that our jurisprudence and our legal system and our moral system in the West is built upon the Judeo-Christian tradition. And that's why they're up there. And it was a token allegiance, in a sense, of the history of our moral thought and our moral conviction. But here's my problem with it. No, no government, no moral system, even created in the modern era, starts with, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, this moral system is distinctly and distinctively religious and um, worshipful. Does that make sense? I guess it doesn't, it begins with worship. And there's no way that can be legislated, can it? Or uh, there's no, its claims are intimate from the get go. And so it seemed to me that the protest on either side seemed kind of meaningless to me. Because we were not a people, even a country or, or, or a society, that could, that could nod the head to the first commandment. Upon which, in a sense, everything else flows. So I was always kind of, I guess I'm against it. I'm against posting the Ten Commandments up in a courthouse. You know why? Because I just think it increases judgment and confusion. And I don't think our society, our culture, our government knows, understands anything about it, or can. I hope today we can. I hope by the Holy Spirit, as I'm praying in my heart right now, that by the Holy Spirit, the law will call us to Jesus and not just terrorize us. 
Uh, this is a fairly predictable message, I think, in some ways. We'll see. Let's, uh, let's read this together, the Ten Commandments together. Um, it was a tradition in the Reformed Church for many, many years, from the Reformation in the 16th century, to read the Ten Commandments. Every, that's not mine. Every, thank you. To read the Ten Commandments every week before you confess sin. How does Christ tell us we should listen? How does Christ tell us we should listen to his word? If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Oh, Father, how I need from you words of life and wisdom. We all do. How I, how I ask you not for the Holy Spirit to fill me. Lord, forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for there's so many, but... Forgive the sins of all of us who are here. With Father, we would see Jesus. Amen. I object to the translation in the, in the, uh, of the first commandment. I, I have for many years. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you hear the preposition? Right there in the preposition. The preposition in Hebrew is the word face. Now, there are other prepositions that have a locative or locational sense. But this word is the word face. And I've always been a struggle with why, why the, 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 blunt pre, the blunt preposition before is used. And the reason I struggle with this is I remember, I remember ugh, after my parents became Christians, um, I became an avid student of, of the Bible, and I memorized the Ten Commandments. And the, before me really just confused me. It was like, all right, wait a second, what does that mean before? Like, it almost sounds like God's saying, look, if, there's, if you have a bunch of gods, just make sure I'm first. <laughs> if you got a list, make sure I'm at the top. Did you see how you can see that? You know, and, and, and I could imagine in the ancient world, that would have easily been a misconception if they had used a blunt preposition of before. 
because they were syncretists. They were like gods from everywhere. Grab a god here, grab a god there. And, and if you have all the right gods, things work, right? You know, you know hedge your bets, hedge your bets, worship this god, that god, whatever. So uh, it, it, that, that bothered me. And then uh, the before also has other, other problems. Uh, and I, I remember as a kid even thinking, maybe it means in time. I was like, I couldn't, what does it mean? When I was translating from the Hebrew and I realized that the word before there is the word face, something clicked, <laughs> something moved, something shook, something started bubbling in my heart, something, there was more here. Imagine it this way then, if you will, this translation, you shall have no other gods in my face. The prepositional use of this word, largely, in most, it's got a locative sense, in most contexts is appropriate. But every time, and if you go to translations of Moses' writing in Numbers, for example, does anybody remember what's called the Aaronic blessing? May the Lord's God, the Lord turn his face to you, and may the Lord's God shine on you, turn his face to you and give you rest. So that word face, once you use the, the before word and you attach it to an eternal God of majesty, the prepositions start falling apart. Does that make sense? They don't work. And, and the preposition, these are prepositions of glory. There's a preposition of glory in the New Testament. There's a preposition of wonder in the New Testament. Does anybody know what it is? Well, it's a preposition that controls and describes everything about God in the New Testament. And it's the preposition in. <laughs> in the Old Testament, it's before, in the face. Now all of a sudden, something happens. When we this translation has something happens, it could happen to you, where all of a sudden, the way God leads out, and the way he describes himself, is the way he begins, is it, it, it's so guttural, it's so, um, not guttural, uh, uh, um, visceral, uh, it's so immediate, it's, it's almost like, it's scary, it's like, what? Uh, I have, I count, I court no rivals, says the Lord. And the nuts and bolts every week about how we go through the law is to begin with what the law forbids, in a sense. How, how the law tries to get at whatever is in you. I suspect, though, even as I say this, though, you're still not convicted. Because some of you are going to say, with Peter, I don't worship a bunch of gods. Any idols in your house, Peter? <laughs> no, of course not. Come on. In a sense, this sounds like an antique objection. We're not polytheists. We're far too clever for this, aren't we? At least I think Shal's more clever than that. What's, what's going on here? In other words, there's no bite. There's no bite to the command, like perhaps there should be. Because, first of all, I think the before is confusing. It's not urgent or visceral enough or immediate enough to call us to attention, but then it talks about gods, and we're too sophisticated to worry about these kinds of things. Well, I'm hoping we can, you know, the nuts and bolts of getting the law is to kind of get in there, get in there before you, because you're resisting. You're like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm okay with this one. I think I, I think I skate on this one. Some of the other ones, not so much, but this one's okay. And I'm gonna say, no, you don't. Conviction has to start here. 
for any other conviction to make sense. What are two ways? I wanna, I wanna, there are many ways you could unpack this. By the way, if you want to get conviction, uh, you, can do, you can assist this study in the, in the law, and you can do it the way I did it. There is published online the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger catechism. The Confession of Faith, Westminster Confession of Faith, larger catechism. It is intimidating. It is exhaustive. It is powerful. Every command, it takes every one of these commands and asks two questions. What is forbidden in the first commandment? It lists everything, and it's scary. If you want some conviction, just... There are... You could break this command a thousand different ways. And then the next question is, what is... Um, what's, the, what's the word? It's what is uh, commanded. Like, what, what are we instructed to do? What are we instructed not to do? And what are we instructed to do for every command? And what this does is it, it makes the law... It, 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 um, has anybody ever sharpened a knife? Uh, when you get... It's fun sharpening a knife, isn't it? I mean, can you get a knife sharp... And to keep working on the stone or working in the kitchen when I work in the kitchens. And when you get the knife sharp enough, all your work's so easy, right? When, you, when, you're, I was, I, when I worked in kitchens as a teenager and you had 100 pounds of carrots, let's say, or 100 pounds of potatoes. If you had a sharp knife, we're done. A lot of us have a very dull law. <laughs> we have a very dull idea of the law of God. Like it, it's just dull in our heads and our imaginations. And, we, and honestly, I think many of us would prefer it to be dull. Because if it's dull, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> right? It's dull. But the problem is, if it doesn't hurt, then we never get the healing either. And we never get to the joy. So my goal every week is going to try to be to sharpen the knife, sharpen my knife to get in. Sharpen God's knife so he can get in. Many of us have dull knives when it comes to the scripture. So, uh, let's talk about this. There's two ways, um, there's two ways I'm going to talk about today, there's more, but two ways that we break this law, and we must address them. And there are two ways of this, that I know are aware, I'm aware are in this community, in this room right now. And the first one is versions, any version of God that isn't biblical is a false God, and he doesn't want it in his face. That's number one. And like, in other words, we make up a little model of what God's like, and it's not biblical. And what that is, you know what that is? That's a false God. It's a different God than the God of the Bible. And we all do this. We all fall into this. The second thing we want to do is to ask you to do an inventory by filling in a blank. <laughs> and filling in the blank of this sentence, I know blank will make me happy. Whatever it is, and if you're going to tell on yourself, you're going to really get down to brass tacks, there is something you put in that bank, blank, something you put there. I know the right job will make me happy. I know once I get a house, well, I'll be happy. I know once I have children, I'll be happy. I know once I find the right person, I'll be happy. I know what, I know, I, and you can, and what, what am I doing with these two for things? I'm trying to point, trying to get you to realize you have a God. You have, we all have a false God that we tend to like and opt for. And we need to identify what it is. Beginning at number one. All right, models of God. Uh, what's your model of God? Uh, sometimes, some of us have a model of God that's very, very severe. 
He just wants to, he's not, he doesn't care. He doesn't mind. He, he's busy and he, and he has contempt for you and your sin. That's not the God of the Bible. Well, some of us have an angry model, like, oh, it's out to get us. He's like standing over you with a ruler just waiting. Oh, Nellie, when you screw, I'm going to get you this time. Does anybody have a, has anybody grown up with a, a God who has a raised hand like that? About to hit you? That's one, that's a false view of God. What's another view of God? He's just like, he's like my grandpa. He's just like, he's a kind old man in the sky. Maybe he looks like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> in my generation, it was, uh, what was that, was that old, that old comic? Uh, who was it again? Burns. Yeah, Burns. Yeah. Crotchety old miserable comic. <laughs> Which one, what, what do you, what's yours? In other words, we, we create these models, and the problem with these models is, be, and they're incomplete, and they're incomplete, is that, is that they wind up being idolatry, they wind up deceiving us, and we're, and we're not even, we're, and, and we're right off the bat, disobedient. Bring your imagination, your mind, and your thoughts into the obedience of the scripture. For the scripture to start to describe a God who is, who is both compassionate and gracious and a judge. They begin to describe in wonderful paradox a, a God who is greater than our imagination. Remember, I've given you this rule before. There's a rule for thinking about God, a rule for your imagination and thoughts. You may have a conception of God. Get it in your head, whatever it is. And as, just as you get it, realize this. You're wrong. He's greater than that. And there's rules and ways we can begin to challenge our preconceptions and predilections. A lot of us, unfortunately, ha some of us had terrible fathers. And sometimes we identify with God, with what? With our dad and his failings. If he was distant, ten, ten, odds tend to be, what's your vision of God? He's distant. If your dad was emotionally unavailable, what tends to be your vision of God? He's emotionally unavailable. Your, God was very, your dad was very weak and tender and kind. Get at your idolatry. That is, that is not God. The God of the Bible is God. Learn who he is. Second inventory. I, I don't have to put the stinger in much longer, do I? I don't need to screw in the conviction anymore, do I? That if whatever you think is going to make you happy in life, you get better believe you, you're smelling an idol. <laughs> There's an idol somewhere in there. A God that you want, that you think is really going to pay off for you. Whether it's romance or money or pleasure or some sort of fulfillment or vacation or dream job or some sort of victory. And, somewhere. and, and you know, it, it right behind that, and it's funny. Let me give you a little advice here. Your heart's very tricky. My heart's very tricky. And it, it, it always wants to excuse itself and make up excuses. So sometimes it's really hard to see your, your gods. Like you, a lot of us be like, oh, you know, Chris, I kind of get it, but trust, ask, ask our father. Ask our father to help you. If you're really bold, ask your husband to help you or your wife. <laughs> what do I worship? <laughs> you might not like the answer. No other gods. So begin with this, this is the inventory. This is all fairly negative so far, and it's all meant to address false views of God that are so powerful in our world and so powerful in our own minds. Once we do the inventory, what do we do? Does anybody hear the beauty of this command? How it, what it must mean? 
Sure, it's in the negative. But every week, after we do the nuts and bolts work of conviction, I want to do what? I want to explore the positive version of this command. If God says, if this God, the eternal God says, you shall have no other gods in my face. What's the promise? What's the implicit offering? His face. Tacitly, almost beautifully, invisibly hidden inside the law is the offer of intimacy with God. What God is saying here, in a sense, remarkably, is that even as the eternal God, and even as the God on the mountain that we looked at last week in His holiness, He is tacitly, immediately, a veil making Himself saying, what? I will be, I will, I will know, you can know me. And all of a sudden, a door of wonder is open in the law where our Father is saying, I will give myself, and I will be present, and I will be a friend. I will be a friend and companion. I will bring you into intimate communion with me. We enact this weekly through the digesting wine and bread. That's the kind of intimacy we're talking about. And that is why right here in the command is the offer. I will be with you. I will know you. That's why I began with that preamble. I am Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the God who loves redeems. I'm the God who seeks out. I'm the God who wants to have communion with Kyle and communion with McLaren and Madeline and what? You know, it's funny. I I was thinking about this. Nothing explains to me. I'm digressing. I don't really care right now. That's always dangerous, isn't it? Uh, Many of us are baffled by the anger of God, aren't we? Uh, a lot of us some, of us, some of us think it's cool, but most of us don't. But when somebody personally says they'd like to be, spend time with you, let's say they would personally know you, this personal gesture in the law explains to me why God's anger is so real. Because what's he saying about the universe and about himself? It's all personal. It's a personal universe. God takes the rejection of San Francisco personally. <laughs> and he takes your rejection personally too. And all of a sudden, at least at a human level, when people reject you personally, what, what, how, what's your reaction? When somebody snubs you about a party, when somebody doesn't answer your calls, your texts, your emails, and that, that could be me, I know, but let's get past that. <laughs> then what do you do? Well, you're hurt, aren't you? You're hurt, sometimes angry. And the more you've given, the more angry you get, right? And the more the more you know this person, the more you've made yourself available, the, there's a commensurate anger for what the rejection is. And do you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> do you see where I'm going with this? I remember, um, I remember a, a young man walking with me uh, uh, many years ago and saying, Chris, am I going to go to hell because I'm gay? And we're walking along, and I looked at him, and I go, who told you that? But you will, as sure as I'm standing in front of you, be condemned by God for refusing the love of his son, Jesus Christ, and the intimacy he makes available to you. He is an angry God. 
when he is provoked by the rejection of his love and his son. It just, that's kind of a digression. It's not in my notes. It, it appears to me with so much vivid, vividness in my imagination. You shall have no other gods in my face. What are we going to do with this now? The, prop, the, prep, the gospel, again and again, in the prop, is in the prepositions. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. What is the hope of glory? Christ in us. What was Moses' great boast about how he walked with God? He talked to him as somebody who talks to a friend face to face. The second command not only threatens us, not only chases us and asks us to clean house with the things we love. And this command does not only challenge us about all that, it now invites us. And what is the promise in the command? Ultimately, the promise of this command is satisfied. The promise it offers of face-to-face was truly realized in him, in Jesus Christ. How shall you keep the law? Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you will have no other gods in this It seems so it seems so childlike, doesn't it? That the law, the way it begins and the way it invites us, it invites us into intimacy. What am I describing here? You, you must have and can have a personal knowledge of Christ and God. It's available. There is an immediate you can have a personal intimacy with God. And that can be available through faith in Jesus Christ. It, it amazes me that the law begins and ends in a sense. When Christ himself said, don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. He said, I did not come to abolish, I came to fulfill. Do you get it now? you get why, why he says that? Because he is the fulfillment. And embracing, chasing, an unrivaled passion for him. And now what I see is, and now what I want to call us to is new single-mindedness. I mean, come on, let's throw it away. I know we're worried about careers and romance and family and all this. I know, I'm all worried about them too. But we're being invited to is a new kind of passion, a new kind of unrivaled look at him. Oh, that I could make Jesus beautiful to you again. Don't you want him to be beautiful to you again? Well, that's the only way I know how to get there is to first cut you open with the law, disembowel you with your self-righteousness, and then say, look to him, look to him. He comes to you. In love. <laughs> he is the tender lover. He is the, he is the bridegroom. He is, he is come. And he's available. Oh, how can I? I, I wish there was some way, in, through my voice and through image or through some cry or call, I could make Jesus beautiful to you again. Or maybe beautiful for the first time. So that you would just... So, you know, Madeline and McLaren, have, how long have you guys been married now? Five and a half years. Having the first child, and uh, I, you know, we don't know. Only Madeline really knows why she married this guy. None of us can really understand it, but Madeline knows. And on the day of their marriage, where, where, where were you married? St. Louis. On the day of their marriage, one of the ways that Madeline could have betrothed herself to her husband, I guess, theoretically, is she could have. How many people were at the wedding? 
120. She could have gone to every, every man in the room and said, not you. I don't choose you. I don't choose. And once she had gone through all the men in the room, she could finally be left with what? With this guy. I guess I'll. Sometimes people, we, we think of when Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We think of Christ and, his, and, and the author of love that Jesus is as the God-man. And at the cross, we think of it as like, a lot of times we think, oh, you know, it, it has this exclusivity that offends. Right? But that's not, how we, that's not how we experience Jesus. It's not how Madeline experiences McLaren. All other lovers were eclipsed by him. She only had eyes for him because she was in love with him and still is. Let me tell you something. That is, that is how we know Christ. You know, sure, I, we, I, I guess by, de, by default you could say, Chris, you could say the Buddha's wrong. Yeah, yes, he is. The Buddha just looks like the other. Yeah, it's just, I don't even care. I have met my lover. I have met the one who offers intimacy to me. I have met the one who saves my soul. I met the one who will rescue me from darkness into new light. I have the one who will give me rebirth. I have the one, even though I fail in the law again and again through weird gods that I create in my head, still chases me with love. I have a savior who outlasts my sin. And in this moment, I guess that's, that's in a sense all the call of my, my preaching life in the last 25 years. And I, one thing I learned working with people time and time again, and, and you look at people and the, the brokenness of their lives, and you wonder how can it, and all I found was the victory came when I finally got them to look at Jesus <laughs> and fall in love with Jesus. God has come to meet us face to face. Um, there's so many places to go with this in terms of why holiness makes sense. And all of a sudden at this moment, all of a sudden at this moment, have you ever gotten tired of all the rules of Christianity? All these rules, you know, I can't just do what I want. But when you're in love with Jesus, the law becomes a joy. It becomes freedom because you're a new man and a new person. Look, there's also just plenty of sin still there. I get that. Um, <laughs> remember the story of um, Augustine's one of the great heroes of the faith. And uh, he had just become a Christian. And his mistress was following him through the salt in the market. She started following him, calling after him, Augustine. And he started running. He started, Augustine, it's me, it's me. And he called over his shoulder. It is not me. It is not me anymore. I'm a new man. It is not me. It is not me. It is not me. Recreated and reborn at that moment, he knew that the mistress was no longer a part of his life. Now, Augustine's a great hero of the faith, and we know has did more to defend Christianity against uh, all sorts of weird idolatries that were creeping into the Roman, the Roman uh, Empire. Manichaeism. You know, Manichaeism is an entire religion was destroyed by Augustine. It doesn't exist anymore. He was so good at it. But you know what's funny about that? Do you know why she was crying after, out for him in the marketplace? Because they had a kid together and she was broke. Wow. 
And here's one of the great champions of the face of Jesus. You're going to, the law's going to cut you to pieces. <laughs> it's this, it is. The law can, will slice you to ribbons. And praise God if it does. And your brokenness and the brokenness of marriages and families and your life will chase you. But we have Jesus. Do you have Jesus? Do you know that you can have intimacy as easily as right this moment, praying for him to enter your heart and your life and make you a new man or a new woman? That's simple unadorned and easy. You keep the whole law by putting your love and faith in Jesus. Some of you have had a lot of brokenness in your life, a lot of disobedience. It's okay. Turn again <laughs> to his face. Give up your false gods and false vision of God. Turn again to his loving face. He will not turn away. Praise him. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, my Father, I have nobody but you. I, I'm, I thank you for the love you have shown me in Jesus and shown us. I, I, um, I pray for a vision of your Son which will change each one of us will change our church. We'll change San Francisco, this generation. So turn to us. What is it that, what is it that your servant wrote in the New Testament? Um, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and let Christ shine on you. <clears throat> Father, we want Christ to shine on us. We want his face. Your servant David wrote, um, this one thing I ask that I may behold you may see your face. Father, some of us have gotten cold in our intimacy. As you cut us to pieces, as we identify our sin now, we turn to you as our Savior. I pray for new boldness to believe the good news that sinners are loved by Jesus. I pray for new confidence in that. I pray for new repentance. Lord, teach us how to turn away. Teach us how to clear the shelf of the idols, because you don't want any of them in your face. Of all the things we love and chase and hope in, all the things I have loved and chased and hoped in, together we cry out, forgive us. Forgive us for loving other gods and making them up and not loving and trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen. Preposition. <laughs> there was a there's a there's a guy I know who I'll never forget this. Um, this pastor had begun to teach a uh, to teach a false teaching, and um, a false teaching was really bad. And he had a friend, a friend of mine, a PCA pastor, and. And I was talking about how frustrated I was by this band's teaching. And he said, oh, Chris, come on. It's just bad exegesis. And I remember thinking, bad exegesis 
is awful. <laughs> like, it's not just like a simple, like, oh, you know what? You got the text wrong. No. <laughs> prepositions promise so much. Exegete the prepositions before, in, with. And there God's promise. On the night he was betrayed, on that night, <laughs> on that night, he broke, he took bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you, take and eat. In the same way, he said, you know, the same way he also took a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim Lord's death till he comes. Get Jesus in you. You know, it's like, if it, this is almost like baby talk, isn't it? Prepositions are the simplest form of communication in our language. And they, but they imply so much when it comes to an eternal God and his love, don't they? They offer us so much. Now, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have this intimacy with him, this is your table. If you've been wandering from Jesus and now you're turning again to his face, this is your table. He is offering you love. But if you have, I, I want to make this big offer of the gospel. I'll tell you this. If you think that you're a good person, if you think you're a good man or a good woman, you have a false God. You don't know this God. This God only accepts sinners. So I would encourage you, if you think you're a good person, it would be kind of severe here, if you think you're a good man or a good woman, you're not worthy of this table. Maybe you're a skeptic. And the whole time you're sitting here going, this doesn't even apply to me at all. Okay, fair enough. Would you watch us? Would you watch us and envy us that we actually think Maybe we're deluded, but I don't think so. <laughs> Would you watch us that we have God in us, with us, and we see his face? We know him in Jesus. You watch us and envy us, and someday maybe you'll come forward. Now, all right, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, I was going to say pitch, this is uh, That's the, uh, the words of institution. What we're going to do now is we're going to, say the Nicene Creed together. And the Nicene Creed is a, is, a, is a very theologically rich and heavy statement that I think is really good for a day like ours where people think bad exegesis is not a big deal. <laughs> this is really good theology. It's the best what the church came up with in the third century. A lot of this was created because of Augustine's thinking and work. Wasn't it? Was that afterwards? I might be wrong on the chronology. Uh, they were close enough, I know. All right, so we're going to say this creed together, and then we're going to, uh, after we say the creed, we're going to sing together. As we sing, will you come forward and get the elements? Take you go back to your seat, and then we'll uh, eat and drink together. And, and then uh, I am going to have to run off and, and uh, continue to pack <laughs> and uh, get everything in order uh, in my house. <laughs> Uh, so um, that's, the, that's, that's what we're going to do right now. Uh, um, Nate and Megan have been watching children. <laughs> now, will you guys uh, pray with people who want prayer or children? Will you take your children back if you want your children to have, be prayed over while we're having communion? And uh, we're, we'll be done. All right? Um, let's stand. I am going to memorize this sooner or later. It's getting, I'm getting close. Um, Church of uh, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco, tell me, tell one another, what do you believe? 
We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not created, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, and was made man, was also crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.